Some of you may have had the good fortune as a child or as a parent of children of a certain age to watch inane videos on Schoolhouse Rock where you learned valuable things and catchy tunes. And you might have heard this one that was made sometime in the 70s, I suppose, and sung by someone who sounds a lot like a Karen Carpenter type hippie chick with long hair and soft, folky voice. Hey, do you know about the USA? Do you know? I'm not going to sing it because I, well, I just can't. <laughs> do you know about the USA? Do you know about the government? Can you tell me? about the Constitution. Hey, learn about the USA. In 1787, I'm told, our founding fathers did agree to write a list of principles for keeping people free. The USA was just starting out a whole brand new country, and so our people spelled it out, the things that we should be. And they put those principles down on paper, and they called it, the Constitution, and it has been helping us run our country, it's the best rhyme ever, ever since then. (laughs) Never in the history of poetry has then rhymed with Constitution, except on Schoolhouse Rock. Called the Constitution, it's been helping us run our country ever since then. The first part of the Constitution is called the Preamble, and tells us what those founding fathers set out to do. We the people in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Are you familiar with that song? I hope so. It's a great little tune, and when you think about the Constitution of the United States of America, you've probably not, unless you were forced as a kid, or unless you're like a teacher I once had who said that every responsible citizen should carry around a copy of the Constitution with them, most of you probably aren't overly familiar with its articles or with the amendments, unless you've recently had to memorize them or something. But this whole idea that at the start of a new project, that you would come up with a charter where you codify the things that are most important to you in order to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to show us the things that we should be, I think, well, that... That's a fitting description of what Moses is doing, just like our founding fathers did. We've been talking about how Moses has led these Israelites for 40 years. This is the second generation, the first generation who left from the captivity of all their political and economic oppression in Egypt. Well, they died out because they they were punished for their insubordination through their rebellion for their traitorous ways to God. But the little kids, the little kids who were there first at the giving of the law, the little kids who were just babies, 
when they were able to leave Egypt, they're the ones who are now standing on the threshold. They've been wandering around in the desert, in this vast and dreadful desert, looking into going into this new place to be this community, to be this nation, God's special treasure, His prized possession on the earth. And Moses is giving them a charter from God. That's what this covenant is. He's giving them a picture of what they are to be, of how they're going to be a community together in this new land, how they're not going to destroy each other and get destroyed, how they won't destroy the land or be destroyed because of their ways in it. He gives them this charter to secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and for their posterity. And he summons them all together and he retells them the law that Brenda just read, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, as he earlier refers to them as. He gives them these Ten Words and he says, Listen, hear, O Israel, I'm saying something important here. And this is a retelling. That's what Deuteronomy means. It's a re-giving of the law. A retelling of the law. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them. Be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. And the first thing I want you to think about when we think about this charter to ensure liberty for ourselves and our posterity is that when God speaks... When you enter into covenant with God, even though it's done in the past, it stays alive in the present. It's very important to see. That's what Moses is urging upon these Israelites here as they're about to go into the promised land. He says, it was not with your fathers that the Lord made this covenant. Now they could say, well, yeah, but wait a second. It was too with our fathers. Our fathers and our mothers, they did make a covenant with God. We, weren't, we were just little kids. All I can remember is having nightmares for a long time. There was a lot of storm. There was fire. There was dark. It was black. Voices coming out. More treacherous than any rated R movie that could frighten a kid today. But Moses is saying, it wasn't just with your fathers. It's now with you. All the Lord's promises and your response to those promises are present today. They're contemporary today. He made this covenant with us, with all of us who are alive here today. See, the Bible does this sort of thing all the time. It wants us to realize that the ways of God speaking to us, the ways of God interacting with us, it's not just ancient data. It's not, as Eugene Peterson says, some artifact merely to be studied. It's a living word. It speaks to people in their time. I expect it to speak to us today. That's why the author of Hebrews can say, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts like they did at Meribah. Today, don't reject His voice if you hear it. I don't think that anyone here would ordinarily think it valid if a 
man came to me and he said, you know, I think I'm done with my marriage. That woman drives me mad. I can't do it anymore. I'm out of here. And I might say any number of things. But one of the things is, yes, but what about the bond, this oath that you made to each other? Would you think it legitimate if the person said, well, yeah, but that was a long time ago. That was like 20 years ago. That was 30 years ago. That was eight years ago. The vow ensures the future. It's not insignificant in the future. And God's covenants with us, they ensure the future. They're not insignificant in the future. And so as present day saints, as the fulfillment of Israel, as participants in Jesus' church, as inhabitants of this new covenant with Jesus, it's fitting for us to hear Moses saying, the covenant's with you today. He's urging them, appropriate what God has done in the past for yourselves today. Let it be the formative fact of your life. And that's what happens each Sunday when we gather. That's what happens with the baptism that we just did. That's what happens when you go to a wedding and you see vows being made. If you've made those vows, if you've entered in the covenant with God, if you have seen a baptism and you're a baptized person, you're spoken for. Today. And so every day is a day when you're saying, well, what has happened in the past? Well, what God has done in the past? Well, the work of Christ in the past form my life, my hopes, my expectations, my movements, my moods. Will it form me today? Are there any people in here who check their email less than three times a day? Hey, two people. Anybody in here checks their email less than 300 times a day? (laughs) Some of you, only about 96% and two-thirds. 96.2-thirds. That's 0.67, but... Most of you have smartphones that make you dumb, and they will summon you throughout the day. You'll find yourself, or at your desk, you'll be working on something, and you will find yourself compulsively, like an itch that must be scratched, checking the email, or checking a Facebook thing, or checking a Twitter thing, or checking something. Seeing if you got a new text. And scientists will tell us that there's something that happens about getting this new thing. You get a little dopamine injection. And then, like all kinds of addictive activities, you need more and more to fill you up. And so people are compulsively checking things all the time because you want something new. Used to, you'd get to go to the mailbox once a day and check it. You'd open the, you know what a mailbox is, young people? These weird boxes out in front of people's houses. And I have ants in mine now. But see, nothing's in there anymore. Nothing good comes in the mail anymore, but you hope throughout the day that something good might come. So you check your email constantly, incessantly, constantly checking what's updated, what's new. You get that little injection, you get that little twinge of pleasure. And I think it's a fitting analogy for what God means to be happening with his word, with the present value of the past works of Christ and his always 
contemporary work and words and spirit in our lives. Is that throughout the day, Jesus means to be giving you resources. Throughout the day, He means for you to be appropriating, making your own, His words, His power. He means to be, you to be consulting with Him, interacting with Him, getting the freshness and the vitality of a relationship with Him that was formed in the past, but has great value right now, today. The Lord made this covenant with us, with all of us who are alive today. And then He secondly says this, Learn to follow them. Learn to follow these laws. Learn them and follow them. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Learn them and be sure to follow them. We're a people in a moment where people don't know very much about Christianity. Even Bible people, even Bible Belt people, even Buckle of the Bible Belt people, even people sitting in a barn on the back of Lookout Mountain may not know very much about the Bible or about historic Christianity. You've probably seen those in the past, those Jay Leno jaywalking things where he goes onto the street to cause great distress among all viewers at the fact that no American knows anything about anything. Have you seen these? We're the kind of people who might wind up knowing a whole lot about the newest offerings at Pottery Barn or the newest recruiting strategy for the, I don't think UT recruits anymore, but maybe the Georgia Bulldogs. But Moses says these laws, these expression of God's hopes and aspirations and His commands and dictations for your life. They are to form your life. They are to form who you are to become. You need to internalize them. You need to make a study of them. You need to let them orient your life. The way you think about things. The way you think about being a person. You know, one of the things that's really magnificent is that even though all kinds of people hate Christians... Most people in most religions and most parts of the world are at least somewhat taken with the person of Jesus. Even if they don't, they don't know what he said, if they started listening to some of the things they'd say, he said, they'd realize he's way meaner than anybody realizes and he says way more offensive things and more exclusivistic things than anybody ever imagines. But his life, nobody looks at it and says, man, oh man! That dude ain't never thought of anybody but himself. He's so selfish, mean, unkind, beating up children. Nobody says that. People look at him and think his life is lovely. They look at him and they think that is a life. Even if they don't want to follow him, that is an exemplary life. And why do they say that? Because God gave this constitution, this charter of his covenant 
called the Ten Commandments. And once, just once in human history, that law walked off the pages in bodily form. People got to see, and we get to hear stories of, and recollections of, the reality that the law came to life. See, these aren't just bare principles. When they are embodied in a life, they come out as quite stunningly beautiful. Jesus said, it's my meat and drink to do the will of my Father. See, this law can all be boiled down to loving God with all you got and loving your neighbor with all the enthusiasm that you love yourself with. And once upon a time, and only once, have you seen a person who fully and completely and mesmerizingly did that. And now calls us to do the same. And we're in a different position. We're in a better position for learning and following them than the Israelites because as Paul would tell us, one of the things that would happen in the past before the Spirit of God was widely distributed to those who would believe is that you'd you'd hear this law and instead of it bringing you to life and making somebody beautiful, it'd wind up just killing you. And he says, but we've got the Spirit of God. It writes this stuff on our hearts. It makes us the kind of people who do these kinds of things. That's what the work of Jesus does in us as we seek Him, as we live out this covenant with Him, as we trust Him. His Spirit makes us, brokers a life out of us where we can do these kinds of things that are being talked about in the commandments. So Moses says, learn these things. Follow these things. Make these things your study. Think about what they mean. Because see, all of this is about an orientation of life. The whole idea of choosing who you're in covenant with, of appropriating and saying, we're in covenant with God. These things are not just for our fathers. It's not their faith. It's our faith. These are our commitments. You never learn or follow anybody that you don't esteem, whose words don't seem somehow valuable to you. To learn something, to follow someone, you've got to bow the knee. You've got to submit your heart to them. That's why these first few vows, these first few commandments are all about allegiance. You've got to pick that God has the primary say, is the first and sole authority for what actions you take for who tells you what reality is if you don't have that you won't learn and follow his laws you might follow the letter of them frederick Buechner gives this story he says johnny sitting down at the piano some of you have played piano he's got his fingers on the keys right his fingering is right he's got the right notes but something's off Because when people hear the song, nobody's stamping their foot. Nobody wants to start singing. Because you can play the notes right. You can get the form right. You You can learn how to do a thing. Someone could teach me, probably, how to do a dance. When I did a new at New City Fellowship as a young seminarian, I had the great pleasure of being the large white guy on the stage doing movements to some song that they were singing. And demonstrating to the world that I cannot move. 
Too bad there's no video for you to see that. An elephant shaking the stage, trying to move rhythmically, failing colossally. But see, you can teach people the steps to a dance. You can teach people how to throw a ball. You can teach people how to do something on a computer. You can teach people how to say certain words. But until they internalize that thing, until it becomes part of them, until it becomes second nature, it's not going to hum and sing and reflect glory. And Moses is saying, learn these things. Internalize these things. Not just keep them. Not just say, what, how much can I get away with? What do I have to do? What's God require of me? No. When you've started to see that Jesus has set you free from the condemnation brought about by your not keeping this law, you can start to say, look what God's letting me do. Look who God means for me to become. What? What am I allowed to do on Sundays? Gets transformed to I don't have to work. I get to trust God. I get to be the kind of person who doesn't work every second of his life because I don't think the world depends on my shoulders and on my successfulness. Learn them and follow them, Moses says. It's about an orientation. These words are for us today. Things from the past. The scriptures from the past. The covenants from the past are alive today and for us to appropriate today. And he says, learn these things and follow them. And then lastly this. The law is meant to prevent a relapse into hard slavery. The law was meant to prevent a relapse into hard slavery. Moses says this at the beginning of these Ten Commandments. And I'm not going to go through each of the commandments. Don't be afraid. I might do that later. Not today. But he says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before he says don't have any other gods before me. Before he says don't make an idol for yourself in the form of anything that you can see with your eyes. Before he says don't misuse God's name. Knock off from your work one day a week. Honor your parents. Don't kill people. Don't lie about stuff. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't want what other people have. Before he gives any command, he reminds them that everything about their life is a product of his kindness. Their very existence is because of his strong arm. He reminds them, look at who I am. Because as I just said to you, any kind of law keeping, any kind of obeying, any kind of giving authority to someone's word means that you have made a prior decision to trust them. And God's saying, I'm trustworthy. I'm the one who rescued you. It's the same kind of ethic that the New Testament does. Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved. And this by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he says, but we're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He's prepared in advance for us. God's graciousness toward us, His liberation of us, His prior initiating action to us always sets the stage for anything else that comes. It's not God saying, do good so I'll love you. It's always, I've loved you so you can now be good. 
now that the pressure's off, I love you so you can now be good. Listen to me. And when you start to think about this, when you start to think God is giving this law as the one who has released this people from slavery. You know, the conditions that they were in, they were being economically impoverished. They were having their children slaughtered. They were being forced to work all the time. They were treated as less than human. They were subhuman creatures. He heard their groans and their cries, and he was concerned about them. That was the initiation. He remembered his promises to them, and so he decided, I'm getting them out of this. He's a liberator. And you've got to remember that when God makes claims on your life, He's a liberator. He doesn't want you to relapse. He's not trying to restrict you so that He can kill you. He's trying to keep you from falling back into hard slavery. If some of you have been associated with recovery movements, an AA or NA or something like that, you'll know that one of the laws, one of the rules of thumb is this acrostic called HALT. H-A-L-T. Does anybody know what this... H. Hunger. Hungry. A. Anger. L. Lonely. T. Tired. The idea here is there's developed this common body of wisdom that says if you are someone struggling with an addiction of some sort, you better watch yourself. Don't let yourself get too hungry. Don't let yourself get too angry. Don't let yourself get too lonely or too tired. Part of stewarding yourself, part of making sure you don't relapse back into the slavery of the alcohol or the drugs or the food or whatever it is that's eating your lunch, that's destroying your life, that you don't want to be ruling over you. You've got to follow this law. Now it would be a foolish person indeed who would go into a meeting like this who really wants to be free and says, I don't want to keep all your dumb laws. That halt stuff. You would totally misunderstand. Thank you, Hutchinson, for laughing at that. That's funny. I kill with the four-year-olds, the three-year-olds. But it would be very adolescent indeed. And in fact, that's how adolescents react to laws. So eaten up with themselves, so novice at learning how to be a human... They look like a full-grown human, but they're, only, they're still like in a mutated state. And so, all laws are to be argued against and rebelled against. You can't possibly imagine how they could have any value in your life, or how they could be a savory gift to you. But the acrostic halt is meant to say, keep, keep this law and you won't fall back into a... Relationship with a harsh master. And God is saying, if you will keep these laws, if you'll learn to follow them, if you'll make this present for yourself today, you'll realize this is not given to somehow restrict you. To somehow make you walk around in shoes that are too tight. To somehow make you feel stifled. These are given to keep you from falling back into slavery. Because if you give yourself to anything other than to the one true God, you'll be enslaved. If you orient your life around any other authority than the God who rescues and who delivers and who gives up His Son that we might be rescued from sin and death, 
things will not go well for you. One of the most helpful things I've ever heard, and I've heard him say lots of helpful things that Joe Nonson has said to me, is that any time in this world the created order gets inverted, disaster happens. Nobody ever looks at somebody who's, who sleeps three hours a night and who works 90 hours a week and says, Wow, your life looks so healthy! See, anytime something created begins to exercise mastery over you, instead of you exercising mastery over it, you're enslaved and something bad happens. Nobody says to the guy who's given himself to the consumption of Santitos, tortilla chips, man, what are you up to? 20 bags a day? You look great! 400 pounds of Santitos in you. Super! You look fantastic! But see, anything, anything that you can see, other people, your children, even really good things, concern for your body, concern for doing what you want to do, anything that becomes the master of you, debt, money, your work, your house, a sense of needing to be fashionable. Whatever becomes your master in this creation that is not the king of creation will run your life into the ground. It'll offer things. It'll promise things. It will never deliver them, but it'll work you down to the bone. Realize God is giving these commands to people who have been slaves. And so He says, you know what it was like back then when you worked all the time? You had no economic power in your life. You just worked and worked and worked and worked. And then after that, they worked you some more. He says to those people, you get a day off. Give a day off to other people. He says to a people who were ruled ruthlessly by a king, a pharaoh who claimed to be God, don't listen to people who claim to be God. And don't worship images that you can control and manipulate Worship the one true God who rescues people from people like that. The law is meant to prevent a relapse into slavery. You've got to remember that. God doesn't call you to obey Him because He wants to destroy you. He wants to give you life. Some of you need to rethink this. In your home, you realize that part of the reason, if you think about it, part of the reason some of you have laws in your home or at least the enforcement of those laws, is purely in keeping with your great commitment, at least in my case. I have this great commitment. It's not the commitment of my life, but it comes over me sometimes, especially at home. It's a deep and abiding commitment to make sure that I am unbothered. It's very important to me that I am unbothered by any kind of noise or fighting or wrestling, football playing boys, bumping into my chair while I'm sitting there, being stepped on, having things broken. I don't want to be bothered. And so sometimes in that condition, I find myself going, the law is be quiet. And see, and I might scare everybody. I'm a lot bigger than everybody in the house by 20 times. And so I might can scare them, but I don't think anybody is at that moment confused into thinking, listen how loving Dad is. 
He's given us this law because he wants to see our thriving. It's pretty clear, at least for any perceptive person, I'm giving the law because I don't want to be bothered. But God really does give the law because he wants you to become the kind of person that the law envisions. He doesn't want you to be enslaved. He's not saying, shut up, be quiet, close your pie hole. He's saying, I want you to be in my image. Because he knows, as any person here who gets taste of it, as the Spirit of God has come into many of you and has started to mature you, you realize the happiest times in your life are when you're not ruled by your own self-patriotism. When you're not ruled by your own self-preoccupation. When you are freed up to forget about you for a moment and you give yourself in service to God. You give yourself in praise to God. Or you do something for somebody else and you're just not thinking about you. You realize, oh, I wish I could live like this all the time. It's really nice to forget about myself. And then, you know, it's only three seconds at a time that you can do it. And see, anybody who is committed to the preservation of themselves, to their own, as I said, it's a C.S. Lewis word, self-patriotism, to their own loyalty to their wishes, to their ways, you're always going to find the law abrasive. And underneath the abrasiveness, the chafing of the law, is this distrust of the God who gave it. But if you start to think, this God is the God who wants to liberate me. This is the God who sets me free from the tyranny of the devil and the tyranny of my dang self. This is the God who wants me to be rescued. This is the God who wants me to live forever. This is the God who doesn't want me walking around meditating on me all the time and knows that my joy will come, that my blessedness will come now that I know His commands if I do them. You know Jesus said that. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them because anybody who fully and even partially starts to love someone else finds that God's love is made complete in them as they do it, that there is real blessing. And throwing off a preoccupation with yourself to give yourself to others. The law is all about others. How you relate to them. And God, how you relate to Him. And so if you haven't made this fundamental break in your life, you haven't made this fundamental decision in your life, to be long to Jesus. If it's not a decision you don't make every single day, then the law is always going to chafe. It's always going to feel like you're putting on wet underwear, a wet t-shirt, you ever gone to work with a wet t-shirt on or tried to exercise with wet clothes on that are rubbing against your skin and causing all sorts of malice? But if you start to think the God who gave these things, the God to whom I have submitted my life, the God who has saved me from myself and is now working in me to make me eager to do what is good, this is the God who gives me His law so I can follow it. So I can learn to follow it. So I can make it mine today. So I don't fall back into slavery. I hope. I hope that you will learn these ten words. These ten commandments of love. Love is not some abstract idea. It's concrete. It's a concrete response to God and neighbor. Given in these laws. 
Make them yours today. Learn them and follow them so that you don't relapse into hard slaveries. Amen.